other and study. We are making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. We're just making our way right through it. Matthew chapter 6 today, please. Matthew, the sixth chapter, that's where we are. Lesson number 12 in your workbook. Uh, if you kind of want to follow along there, if you have some comments in your, in your questions that you wanted to make at, uh, at some point, that's there. We're going to go ahead and we're going to have a word of prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Dave, if he wouldn't mind, please uh, lead us in a prayer, sir. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the blessings of this day, and thank you that we can be here this evening and study your word. We don't take this time for granted, and we're so appreciative that we have the freedom in this country to make this decision to be here tonight. And we pray that our hearts are open and our minds are open to the material that Sean has prepared from uh, your son's teaching about Sermon on the Mount. We're so grateful that we have these accounts that we can learn from and apply these lessons to our lives today that we might be better servants of yours and better citizens in the country that we live. Thank you for all the blessings that you provide to us, both physical and spiritual. And through Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave. All right, Matthew 6, starting with verse 1. Let's read it again. Let's get it again. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 1, Beware, beware. Practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And you pray you're not to be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But, when, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard their many words. Now I think as we start this particular section and we kind of rehearse some of the things we talked about Sunday, it's important that we don't get thrown off by the chapter breaks. By the chapter break here. Remember, chapter breaks were added by men. They were not added by God. Okay? So that's important to understand that because that can throw us off if we're not careful. What Jesus is talking about here in this section is not a new thought. It, it connects back to the previous chapter. It connects back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, where Jesus begins a section talking about the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. We've been talking about that for the last several weeks. Remember, we've been learning from Jesus that the quote-unquote righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees wasn't really righteousness at all. Remember, we saw how according to Jesus, that if they spoke against murder, they would tell you murder is wrong according to God's law, but they did not condemn wrath and anger. They spoke against the physical act of adultery, but they did not speak against lusting after someone who's not your spouse. They tried to find loopholes to get out of doing the things they did not want to do in God's law. And I think it is here we see that they're not as conservative as we try to give them credit for. They tried to find loopholes 
to get around doing things like keeping the promises or the vows that they made to other people. They tried to find loopholes to get out of marriage. They wanted to find ways to get out of this sacred relationship. They wanted to be able to put their wives away for really any reason at all. They promoted things like revenge and retaliation and even hatred towards your enemies. The scribes and the Pharisees were promoting a standard of righteousness that God did not promote. God was against their standard. In fact, when it came to this righteousness that Jesus said they were promoting, another thing they did that God did not approve of was they went out of their way to <laughs> practice their righteousness before men. And that's where we are right now. The scribes and the Pharisees, another problem with these men is they really cared about what other people thought. They really cared about commendation from people. They wanted people to think they were so holy and so devout and so religious and so devoted to God. They really went out of their way to make that appearance before people. Jesus says that they actually engaged in this kind of behavior through three different avenues. The first one was in giving to the poor. Okay? Giving to the poor. That's verses 1 through 4. When they gave to the poor, they really wanted people to see it. They really wanted people to commend them for doing that. They also did this through prayer. That's verses 5 through 7. When they prayed, they wanted people to see them and think they were so holy and so devout. And then, as we're going to see, in verses 16 down to verse 18, they also did this when it came to fasting. They really wanted people to, to, to at least know about their fasting and think they were so devout and so spiritual because they fasted. So let's go back to this point about the poor. We're going back to verses 1 through 4. They were guilty, the scribes and the Pharisees, of sounding the what? Sounding the trumpet. Jesus said they were sounding the trumpet. And we talked last uh, last class about a couple of things, a couple of possibilities for what the Lord means there. But the point is that when they gave, when they did benevolent acts, they wanted everybody to see it and praise them for it. Okay? That's, what, that's the point Jesus is making here. They wanted people to see and praise and commend their generosity. So let's start some participation here. I'm going to get real practical here. And I hope you've been able to think about this. This is actually one of the questions there in, in your book. How can we, as Christians today, be guilty of sounding the trumpet? How can we be guilty of being like these guys? Give me a practical example of how we can be guilty of this. Yes, ma'am, Nicole. Start us up, please. When we help a person, we can be like, oh, you know... My brother needed help financially, and I was able to give him the money that he needed—thousand dollars. I, you know, I don't need. I just, I'm just so glad I could do it. <laughs> That's I like the hey. And what you're saying there, Nicole, is we can be guilty of helping somebody and then just just being just talking about it and talking about it to brag. Exactly. I mean. That's something that, that we can be guilty of. We can help somebody. 
do something generous for someone, and we just can't wait to let someone else in the church know, or one of our friends know that we did that. And then they can say, oh, you're so generous. Yes, you're oh, just, you're so oh, God's going to bless you for oh. that. Yes, that's a great, that's a good way to start us up. Anyone else? What's another way we can be guilty of sounding the trumpet? Nicole started us up with a good one. I got a couple of more on my page. Yes, ma'am. I think kind of an unconventional way to do this is to do it towards the negative, where you say, oh, I struggled with this, and it, you know, it was so hard for me, and I, I spent so many months <clears throat> dealing with this, but I just pushed through, and I, I, I you know, I Trying to appear so this. humble. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah exactly. Where, I mean, like, it's good to tell other people that you hmm. struggle with something, but making it to the point where you're almost like looking for praise because you've made it through and you are so strong, you know? <laughs> that That's a really good thought there. Uh, and, and, and that's that's something kind of out of the box there that I think we need to think about. You know, just like we can come across very, you know, arrogant, we can also, with false humility, in a sense, sound the trumpet because we want to look so pitiful and we kind of know that if we do that enough, people will still give us that praise. In fact, maybe even more praise because we appear to be so humble as we as we say something we've done or are trying to overcome. That's a really good one. Brother Don, yes, sir. I feel I'm guilty of it every once in a while when I'm trying to drum up more money for my adopted students at Florida College. That's, uh, that's like a charitable cause there. Yeah, but... You know, I, I, I try to get members into the society, right? And that is a dollar value, right? And, and in that I, situation, we God can judge your heart. I know it, it's it's one of you those know, things, though. I'm, I'm riding a very fine line, right? About trying to stir up more donations to help, and at the same time, am I bragging about what I do? No, and I mean, the fact that you're even conscious of that, of that line. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing, Brother Don. Yeah. I think we can be guilty of this when it comes to giving to the church. Somebody's got to see that money at the end of the day. And especially if you write a check. And if we're not giving from our heart to God, but we're giving because we want those who count the money to know that, hey, we're good givers. Look how much they put me in. That's why people give cash. That's why a lot of people give cash. And that's a, they're trying to avoid that. And you know what, Ryan? If people, that's a struggle for people and giving cash is the way to overcome that, God bless them. God bless them. Um, and, and, but you know what? And I've seen this stuff before. Sometimes people can give cash and, you know, you know, kind of, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. So, I mean, if somebody really wants to let their generous giving to the Lord be known, they can find a way to do it, you know? But, but I agree with what you're saying. I, 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 I'm with that completely. That helps a Christian, you know, try to keep their giving in secret. But, you know, if you if you don't do that, let's say, and, you know, you want to write a check or whatever else, and you're doing it for the recognition of being one of the better givers in the church, because, you know, the treasurer receipt or maybe some of the elders will know, that's not right. And Jesus said you have your reward in food. So... So, yes, yes, ma'am. The reverse of that is also true. If someone's not giving what they should be, 
and put cash in, maybe they're doing it because they don't want. <laughs> that, that's exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> hey, <laughs> oh, that hey, Veronica, that's awesome. <clears throat> and and sometimes Christians do that too mm -hmm. because you, there's no paper trail there. So you know, if I can put ten bucks in, I make a hundred thousand a year. I get away with it because nobody knows. So again, what's the problem here, Veronica? The problem is we're worried about men. Yep. And we're mm -hmm. not worried about God. Yep. That's so y'all see how we can my point is you see how this applies to us? This applies to us today. Yes, ma'am. People actually think it's a sin. I've known of this situation to write a check and to do it once or twice a month and not do it every week. They think that those things are sins. And and they Think anybody that does it is sinned. <laughs> and you know, with that situation, I think people need to evaluate their own conscience. You know, there are some issues that are conscious issues for people. And if there's not, if it's a gray area biblically, and I think we're dealing with a gray area there, because people sometimes get paid every other week or once a month, okay? I don't think God is saying, look, hey, look, if you get paid once a month, break it down to four. If you don't, you're going to hell forever and ever and ever and ever. That's just my thought on that. But if that violates someone's conscience to not do it that way, then you need to follow your conscience on that. Yeah, but when they preach it and ram it down their throat and get mad at you if you disagree with them. Well, you know what? We don't, you don't have that problem here, so don't worry about it. We're not, we don't do that here. Oh, I know. I'm just saying that. But well, that's I a problem of finding. Yes. And that's someone buying something I don't think they have clear, I don't think they have clear scripture on. Well, I couldn't understand if they did that, but. But the point is, the point is, and I appreciate all your comments, is we can be guilty of this when it comes to giving to the, to the Lord, you know, giving as we are assembled as a church, helping other Christians, as Nicole said, publicizing that, and giving to want something in return. Giving because uh, I want something back as a result of this. I've known of Christians who, you know, gave to the Lord, and that's how you need to look at it, is you're giving to the Lord on Sunday, and when maybe they get into some trouble financially, they go to the elders, they sit down with the elders, and if they don't get the amount of money they want from the elders, they are upset by that because they say, well, I've been giving money to this church for years and years and years and years, and I should be able to get whatever I want when a problem pops up in my life. You understand what I'm saying? Does that make sense what I'm saying? I've known Christians who fall into that trap. They look as, at their giving as kind of an investment. And when something happens to them, they want a blank check from the elders in the church. And that's wrong, too, because we give to the Lord. And when you give to the Lord, you don't give saying, well, I want to be able to get this back, you know, 10 years later. That's not how this works. It doesn't work that way. Well, you, you kind of already said it, but I mean, even when we give something to even a fellow Christian, they expect credit back. They want something in return back. Right. And that's not right either. We should expect nothing in return. Not Christ even a thank Christ not, gave his life. Not even a thank you card, really. Right. Not even a thank you card. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it'll be, it's cordial and, and, and nice to do that, but we don't give expecting something in return. So, going back to this text here, because we got a lot to cover here with this. This kind of behavior, giving and wanting praise from men, strips us of our reward. Now, I don't know if you caught this in this section, but one of the words that Jesus used repeatedly in this section is the word reward. That word makes us uncomfortable as Christians, I think. 
that, you know, we can do things and expect a reward from God. You know how often Jesus used that word here in this text? He used it seven times. The word reward is found seven times in this section. The reward Jesus is speaking of here is being able to have peace with God, favor with God, knowing that God is pleased with my actions. That's the reward. And we give that up when we don't have the right motives when we give, when we give to be noticed by men. Now let's go to this next part about prayer. This is what we are here tonight. Jesus says the scribes and the Pharisees were praying. They were also praying to receive praise from men. How are they doing this? Real quick, someone. How are they praying in such a way to receive praise from men? According to the text, and we're in verses 5 down to verse 7. But really, verse 5 is the answer. Yes, they were they were they were timing their prayers, the time for their prayers just right so they could be in a public place. Remember, the Jews had specific times when they would pray. And if you timed it just right, you could be on the street corner, you could be in the synagogue, you could be in the marketplace, you could time it in such a way to where people would have to see you pray. Jesus says that they were praying to be seen by men. Their prayers may have been eloquent. They may have been long, beautiful, and full of scriptural things, but they were worthless before God. Now get your mind wrapped around that for a second. These men probably prayed better as far as the things they were saying than anyone else because they knew the scriptures better than anyone else. And so their prayers were probably eloquent, long, beautiful, full of scriptural things, and yet it was for nothing. Think about that. Worthless prayers. Prayers, Jesus said, that were full of hypocrisy. They were worthless prayers because the motive was wrong. You get that? The motive was wrong. They were praying with the motive of impressing people and not thinking about God. Prayer's about God. We get that, right? It's about God. And so Jesus is saying here, don't pray like these guys. Don't be like these guys when it comes to prayer. What they were doing, don't do. And don't just, just, don't just follow in their example. Don't follow them only. Don't be like the Gentiles either. That's verse 7. You know, when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they'll be heard by their many words. And so Jesus is saying, shocking. Now, think about this. Think about what's going on here. I mean, how did the scribes and the Pharisees feel about Gentiles? They hated them. <laughs> They hated Gentiles. They hated anyone who wasn't a Jew. And so Jesus says, don't pray like these, these Jews, these Hebrews of Hebrews. Don't pray like them. And don't pray like the Gentiles. Both of these groups don't pray right. The scribes and the Pharisees pray like the Gentiles in that they have worthless prayers. Now, how do the Gentiles have worthless prayers? Well, Jesus says the Gentiles pray mindlessly over and over and over and over again thinking that would impress God. Now, why would they do that? Why would they engage in mindless repetition? Well, Gentiles or pagans in the first century did not worship the one true God. Who did they worship? Yeah, idols. In fact, they had, in the Roman world, they had many different gods. You ever heard of Zeus? You ever heard of Mercury, Athena, Apollos? These were the gods of, the, of most of the pagans in the first century world. 
and the pagans or the Gentiles, because there were temples to these guy, these gods everywhere. In fact, in Pergamon, one of the seven churches of Asia, was the temple of Zeus, and Zeus is was considered the chief god among the Roman gods. <clears throat> and so you have all these different gods they worship, and they lived in absolute fear of their gods. They were afraid of Zeus and and the rest of the gods constantly and so what they would do is they would come up with these formulated prayers these prepared prayers that they would recite to these gods over and over and over again and they believed that if they said these same prayers <clears throat> to them over and over again eventually these gods would have mercy on them and give, give them attention and listen to them and maybe even give them what they want that's what they believe and jesus as is God in the flesh. He knows about that. He knows how the Gentiles pray. He knows what their prayers are all about. And he says, that's wrong too. That's wrong too. It's wrong to pray in such a way to where you're trying to impress people. And it's also wrong to mindlessly pray, <coughs> just saying the same stuff over and over again, thinking that that will impress God. That doesn't work either. So Jesus says, don't pray like this. Now, let me just say this to make this clear, because I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Jesus is not saying it's wrong to pray publicly, okay? Mm -hmm. It's not wrong for a brother tonight to close us in a prayer. It wasn't wrong for Brother Dave to do a public prayer. He just did a public prayer. It's not wrong for you to pray for your food <clears> at a restaurant, okay? We need to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with praying long prayers. Is that wrong? You know, Jesus prayed long prayers. Luke chapter 6. How long did Jesus pray? All night. Nothing wrong with praying long prayers. Nothing wrong with repeating yourself when you pray. You know, Jesus repeated himself when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Go read Matthew 26. Jesus repeated himself a lot when he prayed. The point of this is not to say these things are wrong within themselves, but to talk about the heart. It's about the heart, it's about motives. Having the right motives when we pray. And so just let me sum this up by saying this, and I'll give you a chance to make a comment. In these verses here, verses 5 down to verse 7, Jesus is saying this is how you don't pray. Okay? If you don't want to please God when you pray, okay, do like the scribes and the Pharisees, do like the Gentiles. Okay? Think you can pray in, in a way to please men and also please God. It's not going to work. Use mindless repetition. Think that's going to impress God. That's not going to work. Now, beginning in verse number 8, and we're going to look at this Sunday, and going down to verse 15, Jesus is going to then tell you how to pray. He tells you how not to pray in verses 5 through 7. and verses 8 through 15, he says, okay, let me tell you how to do it right. Let me tell you how to talk to God right. And we're going to say that section, this famous prayer, probably the most famous prayer in the Bible, we're going to say that for Sunday. So I'll give you a chance to make some comments. If you have some things to say about the prayer, the prayer section or the giving section. Brother Ryan, yes, sir. He, he, he slams the Pharisees again by comparing them to the Gentiles. No, I mean, and this is the, one of the reasons why they want to kill him. They, yep. He keeps slamming them over and over and over. Talk about, <clears throat> worry about the outside of the cup, about the inside. You don't pray right because you want to be seen by men. You give all this money and you want to be seen by men. I mean, <clears throat> In front of thousands and thousands of people, and, 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 and keep in mind, 
them at every moment, trying to make them realize they're wrong. And, and he is infuriating. And he's not 60 years old doing that. Like these guys are probably about 60 or 50. Right. He's 32. Right. They don't believe he's God in their mind. He's a kid. He's a kid. <laughs> and he's talking to us like this. <coughs> that makes me mad too. <laughs> you know? So anyone else? Any yes, brother Don. Yes, sir. Prayer wheels are beyond the scope of what we're talking about here. But it's interesting to note that the prayer wheels of the Buddhist and, and that part of the world and various other papers that they hang up, you see them in the, the travel logs of, of Tibet hanging from the, 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 the streamers across the road and all that. And now there's something with the evangelicals having these little things, you know, Halloween noisemakers mm. with a prayer inside of them that you can now as you're going about your daily business, just keep it rolling <laughs> as a continuous prayer to God. I'd never heard of that before. That's it's, they're they're available. They're selling them. <clears throat> Interesting. Wow. I think that's clearly, you know, not what the Lord yeah. is approving of here. That, that's another one of them I was asked once, what do you think about this? Let me tell you. Any other comments? Anything else about this? Yes, ma'am. Go right ahead. Um, I was going to say also, I mean, we, we need to be careful about looking for praise when we do things. But I also think we need to be careful with giving praise towards people as well. Because a lot of times we kind of see Christians and we're like, they're such a great Christian. You know, they're so amazing. They're so godly. And we kind of put them on a pedestal almost. And, I mean, that's not good for us. And also that's not good for them. And so we need to be careful with that as well. There needs to be a balance. There needs mm -hmm. to be a balance there. You know, the Apostle Paul, and I, and I think we all would agree with this, because I think we know this, he, many times in the scripture, he didn't mind commending his brethren, but at the same time, he didn't put them on such high level that he didn't make it seem like they didn't need to grow and do better. So I, I agree with you. There needs, we need to strike the balance there. That's a good point. Yes, sir, Brother Dave. So to switch gears a little bit. Yes, sir. I'd like to focus on verse 6. Of, of Matthew 6, right? Yeah. Okay. You know, this private prayer with God is really important. And I think that we all lead really busy lives. We have schedules to keep. And I'm not sure this is always done as much as it needs to be done. Um, and the reason I say that is when you get in the habit of doing it, you start to see the benefits for yourself by doing this in life. Um, so I think that verse 6, makes a good point that this private time with God um, so you can focus your thoughts, open up your heart, uh, no distractions, you know, nobody listening or watching. Am I saying the right thing or not? You can just talk to God the way you need to in, yes. your, in your vernacular. And um, it's just a huge, huge benefit. Here. You know, I made, I had said that, uh, you know, just like it wasn't wrong for you to say a public prayer a few minutes ago, it's certainly... To, to, to go to the other end of that, you know, we need to be praying privately a whole lot more than we're praying here. Right. And you're leading us in a public prayer. And the point Jesus is making there is when you do it in private, not only do you nurture your relationship God more and you concentrate more on the things that you're saying, but there's no way you can receive praise from men or fall into that trap because it's only you and God in that situation. And, and, and so... I hope that can serve as a motivation day for us to pray more at home, on the job, in the 
break room and it's just you or in your car or, you know, whatever. Because prayer is really designed to be about you and God in that moment. It's you talking to your father. And that's what the, fire, the scribes and the Pharisees had missed. You know, they were so focused on doing it publicly to be seen by men when they should have been focusing on God and doing it in private instead of trying to time it just right and do it publicly. That would have helped them tremendously. Would have helped them tremendously. And so let's talk about fasting, Dave, because that goes exactly with what you're talking about. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, and I'll try to wrap this up in about the next five minutes here. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. There's that word hypocrite again. For they neglect their appearance, so they'll be noticed by men when they're fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, to be able to get these passages, it's important that we point out that fasting was a big part of Jewish society in the first century. Not so much a big part in our lives as Christians today, but it was among God's people in the time of Jesus. It is not commanded, but one time in the Old Testament, and it's in Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. That was there was a it was commanded by God to fast for that. So it's only commanded one time in the Old Testament, but by the time you get to Jesus, you know how often the Pharisees were fasting? And when we say fasting, we're talking about, you ready for this? This is going to make some of y'all just pass out probably. Not eating for hours, days, okay? <laughs> and I know that's a struggle. I mean, you try to tell an American not to go without, go without eating for six hours, they'll go nuts. But these people were going without food for long periods of time. And the Pharisees had got to the point to where they were doing this twice a week. They were doing it on Mondays and Thursdays. And was it commanded in the law? It was something they did. They came up with themselves. So a question that often comes up is should a Christian do this? Should a Christian fast? Well, maybe something to think about. This may sound kind of radical to you. But look at the first part of verse 16. What is the first word in verse 16? The first word. So Jesus didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. There's an assumption there. From Jesus mm -hmm. that his people will fast. Mm -hmm. Not being commanded. I want to be clear on that. But it is an assumption being made by Jesus. And if we think that is ridiculous, well, Jesus fasted. You know who else fasted? The apostles fasted. You know who else fasted? The early church fasted. Read the book of Acts. We're going to read that. You're going to see a lot of fasting going on. Jesus assumes it appears in this text that Christians, his people, Will, will engage in the spiritual discipline. They will engage in the spiritual discipline to get closer to God, to think more about God, to pray more, to think more about spiritual things. Jesus doesn't say, if you fast. He says, whenever you fast. He assumes that his people will do this. And he says that when his people do do this, they need to do it for the right reason. He says, don't put on a gloomy face. Don't walk around, oh, look how sick I look. I've just been fasting. Oh, so you, you're just looking so sick. So people can say, what's, what's wrong with you? You, you okay? 
I've been fasting. I've been fasting. That's why, that's why I look a little pale right now. I've been fasting. Jesus said, don't neglect your appearance. Don't come into Bible class on worship Sunday, you know, just trying to make it look like you've been really fasting for the last couple of days. No, Jesus said, anoint your head, wash your face, clean yourself up. Don't let people know what you've been doing. Don't do it to be seen by men. That's what Jesus is saying here. Don't fast so people can say, oh, you're so spiritual. You're doing something that many Christians don't do today. In fact, you may be the only Christian I know who's fasting. Don't do it for that reason because then you have your, your reward in full. Fast if you decide to. Not saying you have to, but it is a good spiritual discipline. Um, and it's something I've never done in my life. I'm going to be honest about that. So how, how can depriving yourself of food bring you closer to God? Well, you have to experience it. Jesus after, did it. After a few days. And you know why Jesus did it? Because you're not thinking about you're not thinking about anything but God. That's why people fasted. It's to just totally focus on God. And I'm not going to, and I know you're not either, Tony, but I'm definitely <laughs> not going to. No, I'm not mocking that. Because Jesus did it. Okay. And the apostles did it. And the early church did it constantly, even though it's not commanded by God. Let me just say this real quick, Don. Just real quick. The point of this, I didn't, I didn't want to lose my train of thought just real fast, and I'm going to let Don make his comment. The point of fasting, and this probably is going to answer your question, is to connect to God. That's why people did it. It's to connect to God. It's to humble yourself before God, nurture your relationship, and do things that are not physical. Just pray. Read your Bible. Think about Jesus and his sacrifice. You're, you're just totally absorbed in spirituality. That's what it is. And I know people like to say, well, what about a TV fast? What about a social media fast? Okay, that's great too. But in the Bible, they did food fast. And they did it to focus on spiritual matters. It is why God commanded them to do it before the Day of Atonement. Or during the Day of Atonement. Because that was the day when the high priest would go in and offer a sacrifice for himself and the people. Fasting is all about connecting to God, nurturing a relationship with God, and being totally focused on nothing but spiritual things. No physical things. That's what fasting is about. So, and that's the best I know to say about it. Tony. So to do it for a physical, for a crash weight loss is not... Except that's no. not this kind of fasting. Nope. Okay. Because people do do that kind of fasting to lose weight. Yeah. Uh -huh. But that's not what this is. This is spiritual fasting. To just focus on God, not just lose a bunch of weight. Brother Dunn, go ahead now, sir. Num sorry. Number one, you don't see depressed people eating. You know, there's a time and when you get down, if we yeah. can use that term, and you don't eat, you don't feel like it, don't want food anywhere around. Right. Yeah. And there's a reason why the body reacts that way. And in Matthew 17, as Jesus is up on the Transfiguration right. Mountain, right. he left nine of them boys down in probably Caesarea Philippi. Right. And they couldn't cast out a demon. Right. Because he says, this one only comes out with fasting and prayer. Fasting. You guys were supposed to be concentrating yes. on your job. And that's what fasting can help you do. That's what fasting helps you do. Oh, that's excellent. Concentrating. Don, Don, that is an excellent text there. Matthew 17. I didn't even think of that. But that, that is good because why would Jesus say that they could have done it if they had fasted if they and prayed? Had, if they'd been about the business at hand. That's what fasting does. It gets you yeah. about the business at hand. But that's radical for us because yeah. Americans, we're all about food. 
Yeah. And we're all about breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and <clears throat> snacks in between. But Jesus, in these times, they fasted. And they fasted to get stronger spiritually. Yes, ma'am, Kimberly. I just think it's interesting, too. Like, Paul used it up in the context of the marriage as well in First Corinthians. So that just... And in that, in that sense, it was the... Relate the sexual relationship, right. and he says, <clears throat> if you do it, for, if you fast from that, devote yourself to prayer. Right. Mm -hmm. But make, make sure it's just for a period of time, because right. the devil will get involved in. Right. And I think they can even go with the fasting for food, also. You know, it's, it's for a period of time, not forever. Because when did the devil come to Jesus? When he after he had fasted for forty days, you know, have a limit on it. But when you do it, don't do it so people can think you're so spiritual. Do it to get closer to God. That's the point of fasting. So I want to be clear. Not the Bible doesn't command Christians to fast, but it is a good spiritual discipline. It just it just is. So here's these final applications, real quick, and then I'll give you the last couple of minutes. Well, I guess I won't now. But for, uh, last app applications from this section. Motives matter. Don't miss that, please. Mm -hmm. Motives matter. Nothing wrong with public prayer. Nothing wrong with putting scriptures on Facebook and putting sermons on Facebook. Nothing wrong with any of that stuff. But the motives matter. Good works can be negated by wrong motives. So don't, don't fall into the trap of doing good things, but God is not pleased with it because the motives are wrong. Don't do all the work for nothing. Okay? So motives matter. Secondly, be careful with public acts of righteousness. And this is particularly important for us men who lead worship and, and things like that. When we do things publicly, we never need to lose our focus on God. It's always about God. You know, we're trying to help people, but we, it's about God first. And if God is not in our heart first, again, <clears throat> that good work is negated. So be careful with public acts of righteousness. Don't lose focus on God. That's the point Jesus is making. And then thirdly and finally, be careful judging people's public acts of righteousness. Be careful judging people's public acts of righteousness. By that I mean is if someone does put something on Facebook, if they do share an article, a sermon, put a scripture, put a prayer, uh, you know, if they do a long prayer, don't, don't, don't fall into the trap and say, well, they're only doing that because they want to appear to be so holy or so spiritual. That's wrong, too. Only God can judge the heart. So, what we need, this is all about the heart. When we do things, we want to make sure our hearts are right with God. And when we see people do righteous things, we want to let that be between them and God. We have no right to judge someone's heart. That's God's business. Okay? All right, we covered it. Thank y'all. Y'all made some excellent comments tonight. Matthew 6, 8 through 15, Sunday. We're going to do prayer. We're going to talk more about prayer. We're going to analyze and break down the Lord's Prayer as it is commonly called today. That's John 17. I know. I know you're going to say that, Doug. So that's why I said commonly called today. 